So today we continue in this uh, series of sermons entitled 20 Questions, Exercises for a Healthy Spiritual Life. So now you get the prop here, Exercises for a Healthy Spiritual uh, Life. Um, As we turn our attention to today's question that has to do with the Bible, are we allowing the Bible to, to live within us each and every day? Now that's a that's a big question, and I love the Bible. I've been reading it for pretty much my whole life. I learned its stories when I was young in Sunday school. Um, throughout the years, I have memorized dozens upon dozens of different scriptures, and now there hardly a day goes by where I don't read something from the Bible or recite some of the scriptures that I have memorized. I love the Bible. In order for us to kind of get our mind around today's big question, do we allow it to live within us every day? I'm going to do something very, very ambitious. So take a breath because it's kind of like taking a drink of water from a fire hose now, okay? Because I'm going to spend a little less than 15 minutes and tell us the story of Scripture starting with Genesis all the way through to the end, Revelation, okay? And I'm going to do that and then offer some simple tips, some tools for reading the Bible as a way of us thinking about how it is we can allow the scriptures to live within us uh, each and every day. And with that, we probably should begin with a word of prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came into being through the Word. Not one thing came into being but by the Word. And this Word became flesh and dwelled among us, full of grace and truth. We hear from the Gospel of John, which reminds us, takes us all the way back to the very beginning, to Genesis chapter 1, the first verse, when there was nothing that existed but God. And The picture that's presented there is kind of like there's God and then there's chaos all around God. And God spoke. And when God spoke, God brought order to the chaos. Creation came to be. By the second chapter of Genesis, we learned that we were created to be in relationship. To be in relationship with each other and to be in relationship with God. And there in relationship with God, we find paradise. By the third chapter, we realize that having been created in the image of God, we were created with free will. And of course, we had to be created with free will. There's no other way because God is love. God loves us and love never enslaves. Of course, we have freedom. And this freedom meant, in the words of John Wesley, we are created able to stand, yet liable to fall. And human beings gave in to temptation eating the fruit of the forbidden tree, disobeying God, and in so doing, turning their back upon God, believing that they were better off living life on their own terms. And of course, such an act, such sinfulness, always brings brokenness. So immediately we see brokenness as they try to hide from God, as they hide from each other, as they start pointing fingers and blaming each other, Then comes domination of one over another. And sin always begets sin, begets sin. More sin gives way to more sin. And we see that as we read through the scriptures, one generation after another after another. It gets to the point where people are so broken that the scriptures say that there is violence everywhere and everybody's trying to kill each other. 
and creation is threatened to return to chaos. What is God to do? Is God going to allow creation to return to chaos? Well, God saves the only good family there is left. Noah sends forth a flood to wash away sin and to restore creation. And then God sets a rainbow in the clouds and makes a promise. Never again will I allow things to get like they've been. And God then forms a covenant, a covenant with a chosen people through whom God will work in order to bring good to all of creation. Abraham and Sarah give birth to Isaac. Through Isaac comes Jacob. Through Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. Through the 12 tribes, the people, the people of Israel. The people. In time of famine, leave their homeland. Escape to Egypt, where at first they are welcomed and fed. But you know how it is. One ruler gives way to another ruler. Nations can change pretty soon. Egypt becomes an unfriendly place. And the Jews are taken into slavery. For centuries, they cry out in slavery until God hears their cries and send forth Moses to lead the people out of slavery to freedom. Ten plagues come over Egypt until finally the Pharaoh says, okay, go. And Moses leads the people out into the wilderness into Sinai, down to Mount Sinai, where they received the law, 609 laws in all, rules for living as a covenant people, how it is to be in partnership with God and to be in partnership with each other. And from there, Moses takes them up to the very edge of the promised land, and the first five books of the Bible comes to an end. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Next comes Joshua as the people re-enter the land that God had promised. And then the judges as they begin to develop their own governance over themselves. And the people, they cry out for a king. They want to be like other nations. Even though God didn't want them to have a king, they wanted their own king. And so Saul becomes the first king. And then the second king, King David, the best king of all. And then the third king, David's son, Solomon, who starts off being pretty wise, but ends up being pretty stupid. And after Solomon, after Solomon, the nation of Israel is split in half. The northern half called Israel, the southern half called Judah, and each having its own king ruling over them. Some of the kings are good, but most of them were bad. And they led the people astray, led them away from the God with whom they had this covenant, led them away from God. And in this disobedience, more and more brokenness came upon the people. The brokenness of the world became their story, their own brokenness. It wasn't too long until violence entered into the people of God. From the eight, In the 8th century before Christ, the Assyrians marched in and conquered the northern kingdom. In the 6th century of uh, before Christ, the Babylonians marched in and conquered the southern kingdom. The people of God were an occupied and, and conquered people. That's Joshua, Judges, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Samuel, and a few other books too. Okay. <laughs> Throughout all this time, prophets are speaking. 
Starting with Elijah and going through Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the minor prophets, not that they're less important, they just didn't say as much, they're shorter, okay? They're all speaking, and they're all giving the same kind of message. They're all saying, repent. They're saying to the people of God, return to God. It doesn't have to end in destruction. Return to God, repent, and, and, and live out the covenant that God has created. But the people of God did not repent. And before long, they were destroyed. The nation was destroyed. The people were scattered. The prophets also gave a word of hope and said that there would come a day when there would be restoration, when the people would return to the promised land, rebuild the cities. And that at that time, there would come a Messiah who would usher in a new covenant, not like the old covenant, the one that they broke, a new covenant that would be written on people's hearts. Well, a little time passed. The Persians invaded Babylon, conquered them. The Jews became friends with the Persians. The Persians allowed them to return back home. And so the words of the prophet were fulfilled as they returned home and started to rebuild the temple, the city of Jerusalem, and started to await the coming of the promised Messiah and that new covenant that would be ushered in through him. But they waited and waited for 400 years they waited, and that brings us to the end of the Old Testament. Okay, we doing all right? Okay. Obviously, there's a whole lot more in there than that, so read it. But that gives you a little feel of the Old Testament as we move then into the New Testament. After 400 years of waiting, John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us, full of grace and truth. The birth of Jesus, who is the Messiah. The Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke tell us of his birth. John tells us the meaning of his birth. This one who would be Messiah, Christ, the Savior of the world. Now, with the exception of one story, we don't hear anything else about him in the, in the New Testament until he's 30 years old. At 30 years old, we see him baptized as he opens the path for our baptism. We see him led out into the wilderness to be tempted and to, and to withstand that temptation, showing us what, how it is that we can keep from giving in to those things that tempt us with his help. It then goes about proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here, already among us, as he healed people, because in the kingdom there is healing, as he forgave people, because in the kingdom there is forgiveness, as he fed the masses, because in the kingdom people's basic needs are being met. He went about proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand, inviting people to follow him and teaching us then what it means to live in this kingdom that is at hand, teaching us how to live in this new covenant. Well, along the way, religious leaders got threatened and out of their own concern for self-interest, had him arrested, beaten, crucified, he died, was laid in a tomb. Three days later, by the power of God, he was brought back to life again. What human beings intended for evil, God turned into something good. Through his death, that sacrifice, 
comes the forgiveness of sins and an invitation to be a part of a new covenant formed in his blood, a new covenant offered to us that we can be a part of. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. For God so loved the world, we hear in John, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When you get to the book of Acts, the very first chapter, Jesus meets with his disciples and says that he will be, that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. He then ascends to heaven. A short time later, the spirit descends upon the disciples and empowered. They go out and they start preaching first in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria. And then after a vision that Peter has and the conversion of, of St. Paul, the gospel is taken out to the rest of the world through the Middle East into Asia, into Europe, little churches start forming. Lots of little churches. And of course, with the formation of these churches comes lots of questions. People got lots of questions and they need lots of instruction. You know, Christians don't always get everything right. Sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we bring our old life into the new life and it needs to be changed. And sometimes in church life, we get preoccupied with things that aren't that important and lose track of what's most important in life. We need some instruction. We need some guidance. And so the early church leaders, the apostles, they wrote letters to churches and to individuals to help instruct them, to guide them that they live a Christian life. Paul wrote a lot of the letters. Peter wrote a couple of them. John wrote three of them. James wrote one. There's a whole bunch of Letters And those letters occupy much of the New Testament. One little side note, in the New Testament, there's also one sermon. It's longer than mine is today, if you can believe that. It's called the Book of Hebrews. It's a sermon. Okay? And then, in the year 64, persecutions came upon the church. St. Paul was beheaded. St. Peter was crucified upside down. Many church leaders were threatened and many were killed. And the persecutions grew and got so bad that church leaders began to be concerned that new converts to the faith would lose their faith out of fear. And so John wrote the book of Revelation, an apocalyptic writing, recognizing the suffering that the people were going through. He tried to create a sense of hope by focusing on what would become the final victory of God. How even though there was great suffering, God would ultimately reign victorious and the day would come when God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there'd be no more pain and no more mourning for behold, God will make all things new. He wrote about how it was that what God began in Christ Jesus with his birth, his death, his resurrection, God would one day complete in Christ's return and the day would come when peace would rule among all of God's people, a new Jerusalem, a new earth hope. We are a people of hope. The Bible in about 14 minutes. Okay? Again, a whole lot more in there. So read. This is just to kind of help give you a little framework for entering into reading the scripture. Now, when you read, remember the Bible is, is the story of humanity. 
which makes it our story. And it's also the story of God's work within humanity, which means it's the story of how God works in our lives. So we don't just read it as something that happened long ago, but we read it recognizing that in it we find our own story, we find something of how it is that God is working in our own lives, and we hear what it is that God wants to achieve and who we can become by the grace of God. When you read, start with a prayer. Pray that the Spirit will open your heart and your mind to hear what God has to say. So pray. And when you read the Scripture, don't think you need to understand everything there is to understand. I don't understand much of what there is to understand. But instead, just read it and listen for a word or a few words that strike you. Allow your mind to ponder those words, asking not just what did they mean, but what did they mean to me, to my life? What is God saying to me here and now? Read the scripture over multiple times, the same one, two times, maybe three times, until there's some word that comes to your mind that you can ponder. In order to, to give a, a, a tool that might be useful for you in studying the Bible, um, we have written into our 20 Questions Community Guide a practice called Lectino Divina. Um, and while not everybody here is in a community group, uh, um, we did make copies of this particular practice. Pastor Tim has them in the lobby if you want to pick one up. It's a simple way of engaging the Scripture, of, of listening to it and thinking about our own life. Um, also, it'll be posted on the church website and church Facebook page uh, starting tomorrow if you want to look for that particular practice. Good next steps when it comes to reading the Bible. Join a community group, not too late. 20 questions, is only, we're only in the week two. Um, but also, uh, my introduction to the Bible workshop in two weeks or join a, an existing Bible study. The most important, read. Just read the Bible. Read it. Now remember, the Bible is not a book. It's a collection of books. Yeah, they all are, are taking us on a journey. They all have a point, but... It's 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, 66 books that make up this collection. And just like when you go to the library, you don't have to start on one point and read everything straight through, so too in the Bible. You don't have to start on page one and read all the way through. In fact, that's really hard to do. As Christians, I would recommend that we not start on page one, but rather we start with one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Maybe even read two of those, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then read the Gospel of John. Then read the book of Acts. Then go back and read the first two books of the Bible, Genesis and Exodus. They're so important for understanding the New Testament. Along the way, read some of the stories, like the story of Jonah. It is all of our story. And, and read the Psalms, their worship, their liturgy, their prayers, their songs. But read read. Allow the Bible to help to continue to form you, to live within you. I end today with quoting my favorite scripture in all the Bible. It comes from Isaiah 43, the first verse. Yes, I have lots of favorite scriptures, Linda. I do. I do. But this one is my all-time favorite. Um, Isaiah 43, 1, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine, 
says the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.